0: Let's take our Bibles, turn to John chapter 7 this morning. John chapter 7, where Freddie read just a little bit ago. Uh, The title of our message this morning, The Jesus Nobody Likes. Now I'm thankful that it's not true that nobody likes Jesus, but sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? (laughs) Have you ever felt like nobody liked you? You know, you just have one of those days and you're like, I'm a pretty nice person. What's wrong with people, you know? Why, why is everybody cutting me off in traffic or yelling at me? You know, you, I've been driving down the road, minding my own business, doing nothing wrong. I have somebody come flying around me and yelling at me, and I'm thinking... I'm just staying in my lane. I haven't cut anybody off. I haven't done anything wrong. You know, what's wrong with me? Uh, Before I started dating Chandy, there was a a young lady that I met, and I really was interested, I thought she was a sweet, godly young lady. And so I asked her to go on a date with me, and and she went. I thought, well, this is great, and we had a nice time together. So I asked her on another date, and she, she went, and we had a nice time, and we enjoyed being together. And then I asked her on another date, and she was too busy. You know, well, I can't come this time. I got something else. Okay. And, you know, I'm, I'm persistent. So I called her again a, a few days later. Hey, how about this weekend? You know, you have some time. We could go and get some coffee or have dinner. I don't remember what it was now. And, well, she was too busy again. And so I'm thinking, boy, this, she's really busy. Uh, but I was interested, and so I tried again, and I called her again. And, and finally, I, she was just busy again, and I thought, she's too busy for me. She just doesn't like me, you know, and I had to go through this mourning process. I think it lasted all of like 30 minutes and I got over it, you know, but like (laughs) it's hard when somebody doesn't like you and you look in the mirror and you go, what's wrong with me? You know, I'm a pretty good looking guy, you know, I'm nice. I was taller than her, you know, there's there's nothing glaringly wrong. I haven't called her a bad name. I haven't done anything too bad and yet she didn't like me. Well, I'm so thankful that she didn't because God had a much better plan for me. (laughs) And I think you can agree. But, uh, you know, those times in our life where, you know, we just don't feel the, the love, if you will, like we expect to f- feel sometimes can be frustrating and discouraging. But, folks, that's, that's just kind of a human relationship. That's a poor college student guy who didn't have a clue what he was doing, just trying to figure out a dating relationship. But spiritually speaking, this is what we see in the story of Jesus Christ. We see the God of the universe who descended and was born in a manger, who grew up, he's lived a perfect life. He's done nothing but good, right? He's healed people who were sick. He's fed thousands of people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. He has walked on water. He's preached and taught the people wonderful truth. And yet, some people still didn't like him and didn't follow him. Have you ever asked yourself, why does this happen why, why do some people have this response when it comes to Jesus Christ? This morning, I want us to go back to John chapter 7, and I want us to look at this together to see if we can get some understanding, because I think it could help us and encourage us. Because the reality is, folks, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, there may be people that don't appreciate your faith, that don't understand your faith, that might even be hostile to your faith. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I hope it'll be an encouragement. I hope it'll be a help, but also be a sobering reminder to us that we live in a world that is not always a perfect place. There are struggles and there are difficulties. But I'm so thankful because Jesus Christ has said this. He says, he has overcome the world. So we serve a God who's more powerful. We serve a God who's bigger, who's greater. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, you have some questions, you're sitting here kind of and you're trying to wrap your head around this, I hope you'll see through the response of Jesus in a difficult situation that we have a God that's worth serving. Because if if we had a God that, you know, only functioned well when things were going well, he would not be very complete, would he? but we serve a God who is sovereign, who's over all, who's in charge of all, who is doing the right thing no matter what, and he's always accomplishing his purpose according to his plan in his time. And as we look this morning, I hope that you'll be challenged and encouraged by this. Let's look again at John chapter 7 verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. Now, what are these things? Of course, you'd have to go back to chapter 6. I mentioned it a few minutes ago before Freddie read. He went and he, remember, he healed the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda, the man who was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He'd been there for possibly many years. We know the man had had his disease for 38 years, laying by the pool, and Jesus walks up and he heals the man. But do you remember what day he healed that man? It was the Sabbath day. Right? And some of the religious leaders did not like the fact that Jesus was healing on the Sabbath day and they brought that against him. Then we read, th- that's in John chapter 5, then we go to chapter 6 and we read about Jesus as he takes the five loaves and two fish of just a little boy and his lunch. He prays over, he thanks God for it and he divides it out and he feeds, the Bible tells us, 5,000 men and that's not counting the women and the children. Thousands and thousands of people received food that day from Jesus Christ. And because of that, the Bible tells us then that many people began to follow him and they wanted to make him their king. Now, we talked about that, how great it would be, right, to have a king who just took care of everything that you needed, and you didn't have to go to the grocery store. He just had it delivered to your house, and you didn't have to pay for the food. It was all there. It was all taken care of, and isn't it true we live in a world today that people want that To They're looking for someone to just meet every need and take care of themselves. I mean, they could just lay in bed and watch TV all day and do nothing and everything. They're fed, they're cared for, they're they're cleaned up after, and everything's provided. That's kind of a natural thing in all of us, isn't it? But Jesus refused to be king at that point. See, Jesus came to set up a kingdom, but it wasn't the kingdom that the people expected him to set up. Jesus came to rule in the hearts and the minds of men and women and boys and girls to save people from their sins. He didn't come at this particular juncture in time to set up his earthly kingdom where he sits on a physical throne and he rules and he reigns. Now the Bible tells us that that day is coming, but that day was not that day, right? It had not come yet. And so as the people, they're hearing this, uh, many people didn't like it and they stopped following him. We read in John chapter 6 of how Jesus walked on the water and then some of the people found him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They'd followed him around the sea. They'd taken boats to get across the sea and find Jesus. And they get to him and so there's been this period of time now And when you look at the time period, it was talking about Passover, and as we get into chapter 7, it's talking about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. There's about six months' time here. And Jesus has been ministering in the area called Galilee. And in Galilee, this is kind of a quiet country place, not as many people around. And Jesus is challenged. We're going to read in just a couple verses. He gets challenged by his own brothers. Isn't it interesting that his own brothers didn't believe in him. So we're reading in this passage, we can see that his followers, many of them had disowned him. They said, well, if he's not going to be king, we're just not going to follow him anymore. They had expected him to set up this kingdom and to do something, but he didn't do what they expected him to do. And you know, folks, that can be very disheartening to us today as well, right? When God doesn't function like we expect Him to function or like we want Him to function and He doesn't do what we want Him to do or He doesn't answer the prayer exactly like we prayed it, we can doubt God too. And we can get disillusioned and disheartened and discouraged and despair. God, why? This morning... I, I got a phone call early from Brother Larry, and I'm so thankful God's working in his heart, and God's encouraging him, and I, I felt like he is, he is in the best place that he's been. His wife passed away a month ago. His companion of 40-plus years. They've known each other since they were in kindergarten. This August, they would have been married 40 years, and she suddenly loses her life with a heart attack at age 57, young, Well before her time, as we would say. And Larry's been very open and honest about this. He said, I have struggled. God, your timing stinks. And sometimes that's how we feel. Because we look at what Jesus is doing, we look at what God is doing in in our lives, in the situation, the world that we live in, We say, but he's not functioning like I expect him to function. And because Jesus didn't do for his followers what they thought he was going to do, that he was going to set up his kingdom and rule and reign, many of them disowned him and they failed to follow, they failed to continue following him. See, folks, God works according to his will and not your will. But I think it's important for us to understand this, that God's will is not just what God wants to do, but also when God wants to do it. Timing is very important when it comes to God's will. And I'm trying to set the stage a bit because as we read through this passage of Scripture, you're going to see this statement made several times. Jesus is going to say, it's not yet my time, or his time was not yet come, Because Jesus was on a path. He was on a mission to accomplish what God had him to do. But God's plan, while Jesus knew what his plan was, Jesus also knew that while it made him go in a certain direction, it also meant things had to happen at a certain time. And folks, if God is doing something in your heart or leading you some direction and something happens, you may feel very confident. Well, of course God would want this to happen. But then you might begin to question, But why hasn't it happened yet? God, why aren't you doing this? Listen, God's will is not just what he wants to do, but also when he wants to do it. And that means we have to have patience. Oh. And that's the hard part. I was talking with somebody just the other day, and they said, you know, I am very careful about praying for patience. Do you know why? Because... I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty confident from my study of God's word that patience is not just a gift God just hands you and all of a sudden you're patient. Because the book of James says this, it's the trying of your faith that works patience. So how do you get patience? By being, having your faith exercised. And having your faith exercise is not always a a really comfortable thing, right? It's not comfortable to go to the gym and exercise. Uh, Well, it may be for you, but if it is, sorry, it's not going to have much effect on you, right? (laughs) If you want some effect from your exercise and working out, you have to exert yourself. You have to be stretched and pulled and pushed beyond what you think you're able to do at times. And that's how you get exercised. That's how you get stronger. And if your faith is going to grow, if your faith is going to be developed, it must be stretched and strengthened. And if if you're going to get patience, it's only through the trying of your faith. See, these are difficult times. Jesus is not the popular guy that he was just a few months before. He's walking around Galilee See, he didn't do what they expected him to do, and he also, he didn't say what they expected him to say. We'll read here in just a few verses, Jesus, they were expecting Jesus to step out and to proclaim himself as who he was. And Jesus said, no, it's not yet time for me to do that say, why hasn't Jesus stepped out? Why hasn't He returned? Why hasn't He come down to this world and established His kingdom and you know, wiped out all the bad guys? I mean, He's God, right? Can He do that? And, and sometimes our faith, we struggle. We say, if God was really real, if He was really in charge, wouldn't He do something differently? Wouldn't He be saying something differently? But He's not. What's wrong? What's God doing? Folks, remember, our vantage point our perspective is so small we feel it's big because it's the biggest thing that we know right it's all we know it's like when you're five years old five years feels like a really long time why because it's your whole life but when you're 50 years old five years feels like it just goes by really fast And it only gets faster. If you're 70, you're thinking five years. I mean, that was almost like yesterday. It's just how it goes. I was talking with Tom just this last night, wasn't it? And he goes, man, I can't believe it was two years ago that we were working together and and working with boys and girls and helping them in Indiana. I said, yeah, two years ago. Now look where we're at. We're in Houston together serving God here, and God's put together a church. A lot can happen in a short amount of time. But when we look at our perspective on a situation, we can only see what we can see, and it feels like everything to us because it's all that we know. But remember, God's perspective is an eternal perspective. God sees everything. He knows everything. He sees everything from eternity past to eternity future, and it's all laid out in front of him. And he doesn't just see it. He's in charge of it. See, it's great to know something's going to happen, but it's great when you know it and you're the one that decides what happens and when it happens. And so, let's remember this as we go through this passage and we see Jesus as He's dealing with these different people, these crowds that have disowned Him and these people that aren't following Him and the people that aren't believing in Him anymore. And let's have our faith encouraged and challenged as we see this. Let's keep reading. He says in verse 1, I'll keep reading there, For He could not walk in Jewry because the Jews sought to kill Him. Wow. Wow. Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. That's what I say about six months after Passover. Verse 3, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. Now the ta- Feast of Tabernacles, many of the Jews would have been gathering together in Jerusalem. This was the center of worship. This was the center of really everything that was going on in Israel at this point of time. And so his brothers come to him and say, you need to go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, so you can go to Jerusalem, so you can declare yourself, because people need to know who you are. He said that they may see the works that thou doest. Verse 4, for there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly they say Jesus if you want to be known if if you want people to see you then you can't be out here in the countryside in Galilee you've got to get to the big city you've got to get to the place where everybody can see what you are doing he says if thou do these things show thyself to the world verse 5 for neither did his brethren believe in him wow his own family members didn't believe in Jesus. Folks, sometimes it's the people that are the closest to us that can cause some of the deepest hurt, deepest discouragement, even our own family sometimes. I'm thankful for the family God has given me, and I hope you're thankful for your family because God gave them to you. And no family's perfect. No family has it all together. Every family has troubles. Most people I meet, they're like, well, let me tell you. You don't know until you've met my family. And then you start exchanging stories, and pretty soon you find out, yeah, our families are pretty similar. We all have a lot of people in our families, and sometimes the people is us. That's the problem, right? We all have that. Family, people, right? Families are made up of people. People have problems. We all do because we're all sinners, And so there's all kinds of difficulty and struggle. But even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Have you ever tried to go and do something? Maybe you were starting a business. Maybe you were putting together some things, making some plans, and you were doing something, and you shared it with your family members, and they just kind of looked at you like, "Mm, that's so discouraging, isn't it? So disheartening. Folks, we have a, if we have a family, we have a great opportunity with our family, and we have a great potential to help them, right? We also have a great potential to harm them because we're so close. I know uh, several years ago, we took a young lady to camp, and she came home, and God had worked in her heart, and she had really worked through some things spiritually in her life. And she shared with me, she said, I went to my mom, and I said, Mom... I want to read my Bible. I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. And she began to cry, and I said, what? And she said, my mom said, well, I give it two weeks. Her own family. She was trying to do what's right, but her own family didn't believe in her. And folks, when your family turns against you, when your family doesn't have faith in you or trust in you, it can be so discouraging. Now, I want to give you some hope. Because these brothers that didn't believe in Jesus at this point, if you follow the story of the New Testament, later on they did believe in him. And I think this is one of the wonderful uh, evidences, if you will, of the veracity of Jesus' claims of being God, that his own brothers later on did believe in him. Because nobody knows you better than your brothers do. I mean, my brothers shared a bedroom with me, okay? All three of us, same bedroom. We had a little place that, uh, this is probably my fault because I'm the oldest, but uh, so I'll take the blame now. But when I was a kid, I didn't, you know, because I was in charge. I'm the oldest, right? And we had a place on the floor. I'd draw a little line in the carpet, and I'd push everything to the other side of the line, and that was their stuff. They had to clean it up, you know. And then I had my side of the carpet. Alan remembers. He knows. He was a little brother, and so I probably beat up on him and exerted my will and force upon him until... I'm glad I went off to college when I did because then my brothers got to be big enough they could take care of me if they needed to, but I was no longer around. So that's why I tell my boys. Dad, when are we going to be big enough to, to be stronger than you? I said, when you get st- bigger and stronger than me, you won't care about it as much anymore. You won't really want to whip me anymore. But, you know, there's that thing about boys and exerting this. And so my brothers and I, we spent a lot of time together. Your brothers know you very well. Your family knows you very well. And Jesus' own brothers in this situation don't believe in Him, but later on they do. One of His brothers was named James. That's a good name. His brother named James later on became one of the leaders in the church. In fact, many believe that he was the lead pastor in the church at Jerusalem. One of the centers of, of the faith, right? What a special thing that James Came to. In fact, history tells us that James had a nickname. Some people called him Camel's Knees. say, why would they call him that? Because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that he had developed these big old calluses on his knees. Think about this. Who was he praying to? His brother. But he didn't just look at him as his brother anymore. He now worshiped him as God. And that's pretty special, because brothers know if they've had a problem. Imagine growing up if Jesus was your brother, right? Here's a little misunderstanding in the house, and you go, Hey, Mom, what's going on? And Mom just goes, Well, I know Jesus didn't do it. It must have been you. (laughs) That'd be tough, wouldn't it? And you can see why his brothers may have had some resentment towards him. But later on, they trust him. Another one of his brothers' name was Jude. Maybe that name means something to you. It's the second to the last book in the Bible. Written by a brother Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, we know, is, he's God's son. So, in a sense, really, they were only half-brothers, right? They shared a mother, Mary. But their father was Joseph, and Jesus' father, his real father, was God. Joseph was just his adopted father. But what a special thing that happened later on. And so, I just want to encourage you this morning... If your family is a wreck, if your family doesn't always believe the same as you believe, stay faithful. Your faithfulness to God might just be the tool that God uses in their hearts to point them to Jesus Christ. Don't give up hope. Hope is not gone because God still has you here. And he still has you serving him. And even bigger than that, God is still here. God's still on the throne. And he's in charge. And you can trust in him. But I find this fascinating. His own brothers at this stage did not believe in him. See, I think they misunderstood his motives. Right? They were telling Jesus, go to Jerusalem and proclaim yourself. Because nobody who wants to be known does it in secret. See, Jesus was not there just to proclaim himself. Jesus was there to point people to his Father. Now, he was in the sense of Jesus Christ is God and he's bringing glory to God, right? But Jesus existed and his purpose on this earth was to bring people into a relationship with God the Father. So it was not about bringing glory to himself in the sense of, look, I can do these miracles. It was about Look what I can do because I'm God, and let me point you to God through this. They misunderstood what his motives were. Jesus wasn't about just getting famous for being famous's sake. He, he wasn't just about helping people just so people would look at him and say, Wow, he's a really nice guy. He was doing this to point people to God and bring people into relationship with God. But his brothers, I think, misunderstood his motives. I think they also misunderstood his master plan. They didn't understand his timing. Jesus said, it's not time for me to go yet. Verse 6, then Jesus said unto them, my time is not yet come. He said, but your time is always ready. Why could he say that? Well, for us, right, when we live, we make up our minds to do something and we just do it. Why was Jesus not t- his time not come yet? Because Jesus was operating on God's time. And when we operate on God's time, we have to wait until God says go. Look at verse 7. He says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Why were Jesus' brothers not hated? Because they were like everybody else. The world doesn't hate itself It doesn't hate the people that are like the world. The world hates people that are different than themselves. They hated Jesus because Jesus spoke the truth. And folks, here's something that we must remind ourselves of. Truth always cuts. Truth always cuts a a path where there are people on one side of it and people on the other side of it. Truth, if you will, is a very sharp knife that always cuts a very clean line. And that's why it's so important as we study God's Word, we understand that God's Word is our source of truth. That's why it's important if I'm trying to preach to you that I'm saying what God says and not just what I feel about it. Because the truth matters. But when the truth is presented, people that are on one side of it, on the bad side of it, if you will, they don't like it because it shows them that they're in error. It's like shining a light in a dark room and all the cockroaches run away, right? Because they, the roaches don't like the light because they like to hide out and, and eat things in the dark. And that's why I turn lights on before I go into rooms because we live in Houston and I don't like roaches. I like Ron and Cindy Roach, but not the roaches that (laughs) run around the room. But they're not hiding in my room at night in the dark, okay? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But when truth is presented, it causes some people, they're encouraged by it because they understand that they're in the right place. Other people are very frustrated by it because it pushes them away if you will. And Jesus is saying, the world doesn't hate you because you're part of it, but it hates me because I'm the one who's testifying that the works thereof are evil. He says in verse 8, go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet into this feast for my time is not yet full come. Jesus had a master plan and it wasn't yet time. So we see the crowds, the followers that disowned him, his own brothers disbelieved him. And as we keep reading in this story, we're going to see the religious leaders that came around as Jesus did eventually go up to Jerusalem. They began to despise him. They demonized him even. They said he had a devil. Verse number 10, it says, when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up into the feast. Not openly, but as it were in secret. So they said, it wasn't my time to come with you and make a big show about who I am. He waited until they were already gone, and then he came up secretly then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? Right? All these Jews that are trying to find him, they're trying to kill him. They're looking for him. and They're like, why isn't he here at the feast? If he's really a good Jew, he'll be here at this feast because all good Jews are here at the Feast of Tabernacles. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. For some said, he's a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. So there was a a question about who he was. There was a controversy among the people. Some people said, He's good. Others said, No, he's a deceiver. Verse 13, howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. So the people that did want to follow him, that said he's a good man, they didn't talk about it too loudly because they didn't want the religious leaders to hear what they were saying because they were afraid of them. Verse 14, now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So Jesus says, it's not my time. Then he goes up secretly, and now it is his time. God always accomplishes his plan, and we can trust in God that his will will be accomplished in his time. And when he steps up and works, he does what he says he's going to do. So he steps up and he begins to speak and teach. Verse 14, then 15. The Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters having never learned? They said, Jesus has never been to school. He's never been to one of our rabbinical colleges or universities, if you will, training centers. He's never been trained in the ways of the Pharisee and the rabbis. How is he able to speak so eloquently about the truth? Because he's God, right? See, folks, you can know a lot about God. You can have a lot of education. You can have a lot of training. You can have degrees after your name and put all kinds of letters, you know, B.A. and M.A. and MDiv and DMin and Ph.D. and all these things. You can know a lot about God and not know God. And there are people in this world today, they know a lot about Him, but they don't have a personal relationship with Him. Jesus was able to speak... Yes, he's God, and in a sense, he knows everything, right? But he had a relationship with God. He was God, and he's, he's God the Father, God the Son, this close, close relationship that's far closer than I think any of us could even wrap our heads around. But when he got up and spoke, it was different because Jesus wasn't just speaking out of an education. He was speaking out of a personal relationship with God. And folks, I think this isn't the main point of the message, but just a little thought here. Our message is not going to have much effect when it's just coming out of our own knowledge and our own, well, I know this, I've been around. But when it comes out of a real heart of a relationship with God, God can use that truth and work in people's heart because God works through his word. And when we have a testimony of what God's done in our heart, and when it comes out of a place of personal relationship with God, there's a difference in our ability to communicate because it's no longer just our message and what we know. Now it's God's message and what He's doing. How could He speak? He hasn't had the education. Jesus answers, verse 16, My doctrine is not mine but his that sent me. Jesus said, my teaching, what I'm teaching to you, it's not mine, it's God's. And I think this can be so encouraging, because folks, you're going to have people, if you take a stand for your faith, if you share the gospel, if you talk to people about God, you'll find a lot of people that'll listen and accept it, but you're going to run across some, if you stay faithful, that don't like it. And they're going to accuse you of things, they're going to be frustrated about things, and they're going to push you away and And maybe even try to cause problems for you. But here's the comfort that we can take. If what we're saying is not ours, it's God's. It's a lot easier when you realize you're just the messenger. But it's not your message, it's God's message. You can take comfort in that. And I do all the time. If somebody gets frustrated, I don't want my manner to offend. The way I come across, I want to be able to speak the truth in love, right? I want to be loving and kind and compassionate and caring about people. I don't want to unnecessarily rub people the wrong way. But sometimes just presenting the truth rubs people the wrong way. And God has told us to present the truth. We don't back down from presenting the truth just because people don't like the truth. We still share the truth because it's from God. But that's where it's encouraging because it's from Him. So when they get mad at me, they're not really mad at me, are they? As long as I'm not doing things meanly or unnecessarily. But when I'm just sharing a clear message of what God has said, they're not really mad at me, they're mad at Him. And God takes care of all that stuff. In the Bible, did some people lose their lives for sharing the message of God? Yes, they did. And you can read throughout history. Maybe some of you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs and other books about Christian history. And even people to this day still in places around the world are losing their life for their Christian faith. But folks, they can take away your physical life. But if you know Christ, they can't take away your eternal life. And that's such an encouragement. You say, yeah, but it still feels painful. Yes, Jesus felt all that pain on the cross too. We're not exempt from the physical pain of it. But if our confidence is in the Lord, spiritually, we know we're settled, we're sure, we're safe, we're secure. Jesus said, this message, this doctrine, it's not mine, but it's His that sent me. See, when you're on God's mission, when you're accomplishing God's purpose, you can have a lot more confidence than when you're just going about, well, I don't know. And reminding yourself, who am I going with the message of? The message of Jesus Christ. This isn't mine, this is his. And I'm just sharing his message. People look at you, what are you doing? Why are you telling me this? No, I don't want to come to your church. Okay, I'm just telling you what Jesus wants you to know. Because here's the reality, folks. Even if somebody is absolutely hostile to your faith and wants nothing to do but just to shut you down, someday they're going to die too. And my love for that person ought to be willing to put up with some hostility to share with them the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Aren't you thankful that somebody shared it with you? Oh, yeah. And if we're honest, not all of us are like, oh sure, yeah, I'll just believe that the first time we heard it. No. Why? Because that means I've got to give up my own way. I've got to go God's way. Let's continue to be faithful. And remember, it's not our message. It's a message that comes from God. And sure, we ought to own it. (laughs) We ought to be thankful for it. We ought to receive it. We ought to know it. We ought to share it clearly. But ultimately, it's God's message, not ours. And in verse 17, it says, If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. See, people will be frustrated with you But here's the fascinating thing, and I've had this experience. Sharing the gospel with somebody, they don't really want to hear it, but later on they receive the gospel and they get saved. They come to Christ, they begin to grow in their relationship with God, and they come back and they go, thank you for sharing that with me. You say, what was the difference? Well, now they know it's right because they're part of the family of God. They've received the message. God's working in them. And they said, well, now I know. I'm part of it. I can understand it. People that aren't part of God's family that have not had their sins forgiven, they can't understand it like you and I can. They don't have that same comfort and that same encouragement that you have. They look at your message and, and the Bible says that the people of this world may even look at the preaching of the cross and call it foolishness. What are they talking about? Jesus died, crossed, buried, rosy. What is it? Doesn't he make sense. Why? Because it's They haven't experienced the forgiving power of the word of God through the Holy Spirit of God and God the Father coming in and saying, I'll forgive your sin. I'll wipe away all sin. I'll cast away as far as from the east as from the west. I'll give you the peace that passes understanding. I'll work in you. I'll encourage you. I'll strengthen you. All things that God does for us. If you've never experienced that, you just don't know. And you try to share it with people, but they won't fully understand until they receive it for themselves. It's just as simple as this, folks. Last Sunday, I talked about my grandmother's cinnamon rolls. But I can tell you all day about how great they are. But you can't understand until you've partaken of them. You just can't. Some of you in here have eaten of her cinnamon rolls. Ashley's nodding. She knows. They're good, right? But I can't tell people how good they are until they taste them. And I can't tell you how good God is. I'm going to get my grandmother in trouble. (laughs) All right, Grandma, we need 100 cinnamon rolls next Sunday. Okay. But, folks, people can't even understand how good God is until they've tasted of him. Larry brought this up this morning because when I first met Larry, there he's cleaning out his house. Angela's helping him after Hurricane Harvey. They had six and a half feet of water in their house, and he's wearing that ball cap, and on the front it says, God is good all the time. And I looked at Larry and I said, is that really true? I don't know why I said that. That's not normally my first response to people. I guess I was just feeling really tired. Uh, We'd been up a lot. And I said, is it? Do you really believe that? And he said, he told, he's told me since then, he said, I thought, well, this guy doesn't even know God. I need to witness to him right now. And he kind of, I could see him kind of get all fired up and begins begins, yes, bro, God is good all the time. And he starts getting excited there in his front yard. He said, I may have lost my house in the flood and all this stuff, but I still got my life. I still have my family. He said, God is still good. This is just stuff. It can be replaced, but I've got God. And I and he kind of finishes up, and I said, I said, boy, that's great. I said I agree with that. And then later on, we came, I came back a few days later to help him out again, and I, we were talking, and he said, Where are you from? And I said, Well, I'm from Arise Baptist Church. And he goes, Oh, how long have you been there? I said, Well, I'm the pastor there. I started the church. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, you're a pastor? <laughs> he said, and Here I was trying to witness to you and tell you this, and I said. And Larry told me this morning, he said, you know, I've been thinking about that even, he said, I was thinking about that today. He said, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. He said, it's been a month since my wife passed away. and I'm struggling. And he said, I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I met Will for the first time, I had that hat on, God is good all the time. He said, I asked myself, do I still believe that? Because he said, I lost the stuff, but now I've lost my wife. And he said, I think I in a just tiny way, can understand a little bit more what it was like when God was separated from His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Folks, we lose people close to us, don't we? And it hurts. But it's nothing like the pain that God felt when He was separated from His Son. And instead of looking at His Son, who's holy and perfect, and they'd been together for eternity, He looks at His Son, and He has to turn His back because the sin of you and me And this whole world was placed upon him. And Larry said, It doesn't always feel like it, but I know that God is still good. See, Jesus was sharing a message that was not just of himself. It was from his father. The religious leaders despised, they demonized him. And the Bible says here, Verse number 18, he that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory, but he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why do you go ye about to kill me? Then the people answered and said, Thou hast a devil. Wow. Who goeth about to kill thee? Now they were trying to kill him. We already, that's already been established in previous passages. And yet the people are looking at him and saying, What? We're trying to kill you? No. It's interesting that Jesus is talking about this and talking about himself and talking about the message from God. And he brings up Moses. And he goes right back to it in the next couple of verses here. Verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. He said, you're amazed I I healed one guy on the Sabbath day, and you're all, that's what they were mad about. Remember? John chapter 5. And he says, Moses therefore gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. He says, you're mad at me for healing a guy? You circumcise on the Sabbath. If a man on the Sabbath day received circumcision that the law of Moses should not be broken, are ye angry at me because I've made a man every whit whole on the Sabbath day? He says, you'll, you'll still fulfill your process of circumcision. And the eighth day, boy, if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath day, you know, after that little baby boy was born, they were going to circumcise him. Well, how's that not work? And, and you're mad at me because I healed a guy on the Sabbath day. See, when religious people put together their idea of how God should work, they, they ignore many times the actual working of what God is doing and God's plan. And they are frustrated, and they can, in fact, even miss the work of God because they're so caught up in their form and their function and their way of doing things that they miss what God is actually doing. Jesus says, I come and I heal this man on the Sabbath day, and you're all mad at me for that, but you circumcise. He's like, I'm making people whole. You're cutting them apart, right? Right? I mean, that's really the point that he's making. Now, he's not saying that it was wrong for them to circumcise. It wasn't. God had commanded them to do it. But what he's saying is, how is it okay for you to do that, and it's not okay for me to heal a man on the Sabbath day? Folks, people turn away from Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Well, I don't like what the Bible says, because that's different than how I grew up in church. Folks, our church is not the supreme authority. God's word is the authority. And I realize we're trying to have a church here too. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Okay, We're going to do things. We're growing. We're, we're trying to follow God's word. We, I'm going to make some mistakes along the way. I'm just a human being. And if I do, please forgive me. I'll try to forgive you if you do wrong too, right? That's that's part of the body of Christ. But we want to strive to be in line with God's word. And so many times we're caught up in our culture, we're caught up in what we're used to, we're caught up in the way we grew up. And it's not that all those things were necessarily bad. But if they're not in line with God's word, then we've got to bring ourselves back and say, you know what? That may be the way my family's always done it. That may be the way I've always thought. That may be the way it feels normal to me. But you know what? When I've line it up with God's Word, that's just not what it says. This past week, I had a man sitting in my office, and this man grew up in a, in a Catholic church, and we were talking about baptism. We've been doing our Bible study together. And we looked at all the different passages of Scripture about baptism and what it says and how the Bible teaches that baptism is by Immersion. And that baptism is to be done after the point of salvation when someone believes in Jesus Christ. It's believer's baptism. And he said, well, in our church growing up, we we were baptized as babies. And we were sprinkled. And I said, what was the purpose of that? And he said, it was the idea of like washing uh, our sins away and setting us aside. And I said, here's the problem. Well, that's a nice idea. I said, it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. You just can't find it in there. And he said, well, I grew up in the Catholic church. I said, you know what? When I was in seminary, I had a good friend that I worked with in sales, and he was, he's a Catholic. I shared the gospel many times, and he just, you know, he said, I want to stay in my church. But when I graduated from seminary, he gave me a Catholic Bible. He even printed my name on the front if you really want to see this it. in my office. My name's in gold in front of the Catholic Bible. And so I, took, I opened up the Catholic Bible and I took him to the exact same passages of Scripture and I said, it's not taught in the Catholic Bible either. And he just said, really? He said, you know what? We never read our Bibles. So we don't know what the Bible says. He said, we just listen to what the church told us. And I said, we can fall into that same trap in our church if I'm just up here, well, I said it, so you better do it. That's wrong. We better live like, well, God said it, yeah. so we're going to do it. And folks, there is no desire when we're starting a new church to say, well, all these other churches, they're just bad churches. No. The ultimate authority, though, is God. And if you look at your background, your, the way you grew up, the things you're comfortable with, the things you've known, we're not here trying to bash against your history or your culture or your family or some church relationship that you may or may not have. I'm trying to just encourage you to fall in line with what God's Word says. And if God's Word says it, let's do it! And if it doesn't, let's let those things become less important, right? Because we're all going to have differences that really maybe aren't something that's really clearly spoken about in God's Word. So if those kind of things, I would call those less important issues, right? And let's say, well, if God's Word says it, that's what we're going to do. This other stuff, yeah, there's differences in preference and things that we enjoy, things we want to understand the Bible principles about it, but we can let some of those things go to the side, because those aren't the biggest things. You know, if, if you cheer for the Dallas Cowboys and I cheer for the Houston Texans, it's okay, you know. Now somebody's going to come up after church and say, well, Pastor, I have a Bible verse about why you should cheer for the Texans. Okay, well... I don't think that's really taught in the Bible, though, is it? So we want to make the Bible the central authority. Jesus was doing that. See, Jesus had grown up as a Jew, right? He was a Jew. He's descended from the line of Jew. Jesus knew about circumcision. He had been circumcised himself. But he's making the point: you're following your religion and you're rejecting truth because it doesn't fit quite with what your religion has said. And we have to go to a higher authority than religion. We have to go to God's authority. And that's what Jesus did. Let me finish up. We're running out of time this morning. Because we see the the crowds that disowned him. They stopped following. We see his brothers, they disbelieved him. They, They didn't believe in their own brother. We see the religious leaders, they despised him. But there were some that continued to follow after him that continued to trust in him. Some remain devoted to him. Look at verse 31. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? This man must be the Christ, they're saying. He's done all these miracles. He must be God. Look at verse 40 and 41. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. See, people believed. Folks, this is the encouragement that I want to give you. Even though we live in a world that at times it feels like, well, nobody even likes Jesus. See, people like the idea of Jesus, but they don't want Jesus to tell them what's right and what's wrong, right? They like the idea of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with loaves and fishes and they like the idea of Jesus walking on the water and meeting you in your storm and they like the idea of Jesus healing sick people but they don't like the idea of Jesus telling them that their religion is wrong that they have to follow God and not man's authority. Right. Right? So when we get into our own situations as a church, as individuals, whatever it is and we're going about trying to share the gospel and do what God wants us to do and people don't like it, remember If we're faithful to God, yes, there'll be some that don't follow it. But there will be some that say, that is the truth. I need the truth. I am going to trust in Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for some people, even in the last few weeks in our church, that have trusted in Christ. I'm thankful for people that have gotten confidence in what Jesus said in the message of truth. Folks, let's stay faithful. The question for us today is this what will we do with Jesus, right? If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, will you walk in the confidence knowing that the message you have to share, it's not your own, it's from God. And share it faithfully. And when people are frustrated by it, people push back against it, don't get discouraged and quit. See, you don't save people. I don't save people. God saves people. All he's asked us to do is just share the message. One of my friends said it this way, he said, All we're doing is going around looking for the low hanging fruit that's already ripe. He said sometimes you get to a tree and the fruit's just not ripe yet, and so you just keep going till you find the next tree where that fruit's just luscious and ripe and just ready to pick. It doesn't mean we don't go by and give that old tree a shake sometimes and see if they might listen, but they may not. But we just we don't get discouraged. Because God's the one that saves people. He's just asked us to be faithful to share the message. I was thinking about that this week, right? With our parks and as we went out and shared the message and some of the people we shared it with didn't come. But we had other people that did. Miss Marie got to share the gospel with the lady last night. Praise the Lord. That's God, right? God, God put that opportunity together. We got to meet, we had a lady come last night to the park that she came to our church last fall, the Fall Festival. And she came and she, and she had liked our page on Facebook. And when the guys were posting some stuff about the park yesterday, earlier this week, she said, I told my daughter, that's that Fall Festival Church. Okay, we'll be called whatever you want us, you know, Fall Festival Church. There we go, we're going to change the name. And she said, we're going to go to that. And she came. She brought her daughter. We had a great time. And we talked Well, we were still there at like, what, 8 o'clock last night? (laughs) The park event was supposed to get over at 6 o'clock. But we just didn't go home because people were just enjoying the fellowship, talking about the goodness of God. And her daughter, she told me last night, she said, please send me the information on that camp. I think my daughter would like to go. That's a blessing. That's the Lord. See, See, God puts that fruit right there. And all we have to do is go be faithful and not get discouraged and not quit and not say, well, you know. Those people didn't like it. Uh, those people were frustrated. We're not trying to be mean, folks. And if you meet somebody in the neighborhood, you meet somebody around, why Why are you doing... Hey, we're just trying to share the truth. What are you doing? Why, why are you passing out flyers? We're just inviting kids to ha- play at the park and, and share a Bible message with them. I, I'm so, sorry if that offends you, but we're not here to hurt anybody. Let's just stay faithful. Let's keep serving the Lord. They didn't all like Jesus either. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, this this is the kind of Jesus you want to serve. The one who can go through good times, bad times. And he understands his purpose, his mission. He's here to point people to the Father. Do you have that relationship with the Father this morning? If you do, keep walking in it. Stay faithful to it.